You may be seated. I'm thinking this morning about one of the most difficult parts of evangelism. It's got to be one of the hardest. Probably because we grow up with this fear of, uh, well, it's a school thing. Let's put it that way. It's a school thing. It probably started when you were young, that that this fear. Uh, You go to class and the teacher would say, pop quiz. Two dreaded words. Unless you're a teacher, then I think you secretly enjoy it. You know who you are. Uh, But... For the rest of us out in the classroom, you dread it because if you were daydreaming, you're not ready for that. And uh, if you weren't studying the night before, you're not ready for that. I think we also dread this part of evangelism because some of us are not good test takers. Even if we do study, uh, you remember those ACTs, some of you that have taken that. You, you remember those little Scantron things you've got to fill in with your answer, you know, and you figure if I pick C, I'll be average, so C, 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 you know. Um, so some people are just not good test takers. That This is the way some of us are wired. Some of us like being on the edge, and you know who you are too, and so maybe this message hardly even applies to you. Well, it'll apply to you. But um, I think one of the hardest things about evangelism that I've heard many people express is what happens when I'm talking to somebody, and we get, it gets spiritual, it gets heavy, and then they pull out the big guns and they want to ask me a question. What am I supposed to say? Well, what, what, if they, what if they say to me, I was abused as a child, like one woman I heard said this to me, I was abused as a child and so I realized everything I heard in church about God loving the little children cannot be true. What do you say to her? Or a young guy I talked to just a few weeks ago who said to me, um, I haven't given up on Jesus, but there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. So I don't have much to do with that. What what do you say then? And suddenly it's pop quiz time. Do you have the verse? Do you know what you're going to say? And how can you be prepared for every single thing that's going to come your way? Because everybody's different. Everybody's got a different hang-up. You don't know what's coming at you. What if there was a way then to have a basic understanding of what you're going to do when someone presents an obstacle to coming to faith in Christ? Here's what's keeping me from embracing Christianity. They're probably not even going to say it like that. They're just going to say, here's what I hate about the church. And then they're going to let you have it, right? What if there was a way, a format we could keep in our minds that would help us in those moments. That's what this morning is about. This morning we're talking about being a builder. In particular, a bridge builder. Because people have obstacles that are keeping them from coming to faith in Christ. We can, like, if we could just get rid of those obstacles and say, no, there's no hypocrites in the church. I'm sorry, you're mistaken. Well, then it'd be easy. Or if we could say, no, that abuse wasn't that bad. That would be easy. But, but the problem is, these obstacles are real. And, and they're connected to emotions. They're things people are going to carry the rest of their lives. Whether or not they come to faith in Christ, they're going to have hurts about what's been done to them. And some of these obstacles are, are volitional. You know, that they're part of the will. If I come to Jesus, then I can't have my fun on Fridays that I normally have with the guys. We can't do those things. We can't say those things together. 
So I don't want to give that up. Rightly so, Jesus said. You gotta, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother. And of course, what did he mean? Does he mean we literally hate our father and mother? Does that contradict honoring mom and dad as part of the Ten Commandments? No, he's not contradicting it. He's just saying, there's going to be big conflict for some of you that come to faith in me. And, it's, and, and, and your parents aren't going to be happy with it. There's obstacles. Some are intellectual. Intellectual obstacles are like, you know, um, you want me to believe that a dead guy came back to life three days later? Really? You want me to believe that a person could walk on water if it's not Wisconsin in the winter? You know? Um, really? You know? My mind doesn't, can't go there because I know intellectually that can't happen. So, so people have different kinds of obstacles. And, and typically, when we're talking to these people... Um, it, it's really easy to have that moment where, where, where you hear where they're at. I mean, that moment is, is profound, isn't it? Like when they lay it out there, here's why, boom. And, and, and then you go, okay, now it's time for the pop quiz. They just let me know, now what am I going to say? And way too often, I myself have stood there, I'm thinking about um, one of the people I talked to about hypocrisy in the church, and it's like, in those moments, sometimes I feel like I just can't pull the right words out. Sometimes I feel like it's just not there. The young guy I was talking to about hypocrisy in the church, I still don't think I'm happy with my answer. I went away thinking of all these great answers I could have said, but maybe what I did say was good enough. Let's review before we go on, though. Um, we said there's different roles you can take as an evangelist, as someone who's going to share your faith. We talked about the explorer. Now, these are very Northwoodsy. You should be able to remember these, okay? I mean, the, the, these aren't hard, all right? There's the explorer. Explorers do this. They explore. They don't assume where someone's at. They enter and discover where people are at spiritually. Explorers have a couple jobs to do, a couple tools. They want to ask questions and they want to listen. They, they want to look at a map of someone's soul and say, I see where you're at. You are walking away from Christ. Or, or they look at the map and say, you're pretty close. Not quite there yet, but you're pretty close. And the only way you can know where someone's at, unless you're omniscient, <laughs> is to ask them questions and to listen to their stories. That's what Explorer does. We can do this. We can do this. It gets a little harder, though, because from an Explorer, you go to a guide. Guides lead people to Jesus. They want to introduce Jesus. They want to, they want to do the marriage thing and pop the question and say, do you want this? Christ died for you. Do, do you want in? Do you want to be one of his children? Do you want to be changed and transformed? That's what a guide does. Guides lead people to the Savior. Guides have different tools. They use community as a tool, right? You can come to church with me. You can come to my house Friday night. We're playing games. Let's get together. Uh, come over for dinner. Uh, and then they just see how you do life. What does a gospel-centered family do? How do they live? I'm assuming that we have a better way of life than the world. We should. So show them that. Um, guides also use uh, uh, their personal testimony, their story of how they came to Christ. Here's what I struggled with as a young believer. This is where Jesus has brought me now. They tell their story. And then lastly, if you're a good guide, you're going to do a gospel presentation. You're going to say, this is what the gospel is. 
how we used a couple different methods last week. I talked about the bridge illustration. You can draw it out as a bridge. Um, ABC, admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead and confess him as your Lord. ABC. So whatever method you want to use, some people use the Romans road. Guides are going to use a method of sharing the gospel to, to show people who Jesus is and lead them to him. Now, this morning, we're talking about being a bridge builder. We can't remove the obstacle usually, so we've got to go over it. And we've got to show how Christ will help people walk over their obstacles to the other side. So, let's see how Paul did this first. Would you go to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Paul is quite the bridge builder. Acts 17, uh, 16, which is page 785 if you're using a uh, pew Bible. 785. So Paul's been out evangelizing. Uh, He's been in Thessalonica. He's been in Berea. You notice Thessalonica, you might be familiar to you because uh, that's the Thessalonian church. Uh, And then he goes to Athens. He's waiting for other friends of his to meet him in Athens. But is he going to wait there and do nothing? No, he's going to do what he does best. He's going to share the faith with others. This is what he does. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He made the most of his time. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Let's talk about these guys just for a second. Epicurean, these guys are more living for pleasure, living for the moment. Uh, There's a view of God, but he's a distant God who's disinterested with us, and so you live for pleasure. Stoics are kind of on the opposite side. You know, we think of Stoic, you know, you're, you're, you're sober, right? That's what these guys were. They're denying, they're denying uh, emotion. They're, they're kind of in control. Maybe it's not um, too hard to imagine why some of the first Stoic philosophers actually committed suicide. Um, the, the, the history tells us. So um, Stoics and Epicureans, he's talking to these people, and uh, they begin to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? We're in, we're in verse 18 still. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Uh, that is actually where uh, Socrates, five centuries earlier, was in the Areopagus, okay? Answering for some of his uh, philosophy and, and getting in trouble and all these things. And uh, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All Athenians, I I love the side note here, okay? All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. 
and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them, Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. I did a uh, church planter's assessment a few years ago. It was painful. Um, Went to uh, Green Lake Conference Center. Some of you have been there. And... you know, if you're thinking about planning a church or doing a multi-site, which I was doing a, a second campus of our, of our church in Watoma, um, they just wanted to evaluate me and, and see what my gifts were along with a lot of other people. And uh, so you're kind of in a fishbowl for three days, you know. You've got, you got these guys sitting on the outside of the room and you're kind of on the inside and you're talking to people, that, these other church planter types uh, that, that are also being assessed and they're, they're taking notes on you, you know. Sound fun? Um, and... Uh, and uh, it wasn't. <laughs> and I remember, though, uh, some of the most interesting times, though, were like during lunch. Because during lunch, you would actually sit with these assessment guys, these, these guys that had the notebooks out writing things down about you. Um, and you have lunch with them, and you could talk to them and find out more about their life. So they're not just finding out about me, I'm finding out about them. And I, I remember doing lunch a couple times, and they're asking me questions. I'm asking them questions. And they're just describing some of the experiences they have had planting churches, because that's what we're there for. And after I got done with lunch, I thought, these guys, these guys, I mean, these guys are kind of like, kind of like Rambo of church leaders, you know? Like, like, take the helicopter in, right? And drop the guy out from 30 feet up. He lands on the ground with Bible in hand, right? Ready, you know? And he goes into the city and starts sharing the faith. And people are coming to Christ. And it's like, we need a place to meet. Let's meet there. And, you know, they got the place to meet. And, and it's like, here comes the church. And I can imagine these guys, you know, these guys go to uh, some, some little rural town in Wisconsin and, and start talking to people. And whoops, there's a church. And even plan to make it happen. There it is, you know. Um, these guys are amazing, right? They're sharing their stories. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm not sure that I'm them. I'm not sure that I'm uh, the, the commando going in and, and just starting things and stirring things up in a town. Um, I think I'm more like a Timothy who, who comes into an established place and tries to take it to the next level. That's kind of how I viewed myself, at least. But Paul is in Athens hanging out waiting to meet his friends. Can't help himself, right? Just can't help himself. And he, and he starts talking, you know, in the synagogues. And start stirring some things up, you know. Some, sometimes you read an Acts, and it's like, uh, 
the, the, the apostles and the, and the missionaries go in and, and they just stir up the city. And everybody's like talking. Everybody's kind of mad. And some people are excited. And, and this is what he does. And, and he gets people stirred up. And so they say, we want to hear more from you. All right. It wasn't part of the plan, but I know how this goes. And he shows up. Pop quiz. We want to hold a council and we want you to defend these ideas that you've been sharing. Pop quiz. Are you ready? By the way, the only thing that we do every day is talk about philosophy. All we do is defend new ideas. So you better have good defense for yours. So, look. When you're talking to someone about the faith and they're bringing their obstacle to you, it could be worse. You could be in front of a group of philosophers. Just think about that. So, um, how did Paul do it? I hear a buzzing. Are we okay? I don't know. Just ignore it, okay? Um, Maybe I'm the only one that hears it. So, uh, a bridge builder then does this. He, he finds out where a person's at. He wants to end with Jesus. And he wants to build a bridge over the obstacle. That's what a bridge builder does. Let's take a look. And if you have notes uh, in your bulletins, you can pull those out as, a, as an outline for where we're going. I just want to share briefly Paul's strategy with the Athenians here. Okay, so t- check this out. First question. What were the Athenians' obstacles? What was blocking them from coming to faith in Christ? Well, our verse, uh, I'll go back to it. Verse 16, Paul's distressed because the city is full of idols, right? There's idols. And that, that's bothering Paul in, in, internally. So, so there's idols. Uh, how can you worship Jesus and worship all the other gods? Okay, why add one more God to everything else you're worshiping, right? Idols, that's an obstacle. How do you get around it? Also, we've talked about this already. Philosophy, philosophy, Epicureans, Stoics. These guys know a lot of stuff. And, and it's very possible that they are so sure about what they believe. Why, why do I want to believe in Jesus? If I'm an Epicurean and I'm living for pleasure... What do you have to offer me? What does Jesus have to offer me that's better than that? Right? By the way, that's very similar to what I, I think we hear a lot today. Why should I give up what I want to do to follow Jesus? I like what I'm doing. I like this sin. I don't even call it sin. You call it sin because you're judgmental. Right? And then, also, we talked about how they like to do nothing but, but talk. Remember our little uh, verse 21 there? All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, right? I think there's a little jab here that says, they're kind of lazy. I don't know if you catch that too, you know? If you're just talking all day, are you working? Are you doing anything productive with your hands? Are you adding to society or are you just talking? And, and I get the impression that there's a little bit of a jab there that they're lazy, you ever sh- tried to share your faith with someone that would rather just argue than actually come to a conclusion? I, I, I just want to stir the pot. You know, I just want to argue because I enjoy conflict. They just want to talk about the new ideas. F- forget about me actually giving my whole life to this. I mean, and think about the fads. They're, they're such a, a fan of fads. New ideas, tell us, tell us. No, no, this new idea should last your entire life and into the next one. This is not a fad, this Jesus. How do you break through fads, philosophy, pleasure? How do you break through that? 
Paul, that's a tall order. You've got a lot of stuff going on there. Explorers are going to find out what the obstacles are. Where does Paul begin? Well, look at 22 and 23. This is where he begins. He stood up in the meeting and he says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul begins with their, um, with their religious inclinations, right? He wants to say, I see you're religious. Now, depending on the context, this can be an insult or a compliment. <laughs> I believe with Paul, in front of all these people, it was actually a compliment. That he's saying, I get you're religious. I get that you have all these gods. In fact, you're so religious, you want to make sure you're not going to miss any gods, and so you have this altar to the unknown god, just in case we might miss somebody. So you see where he started? In, in a very positive sort of way. Now, I'm not saying there's no room to walk up to the person and say, repent because you're going to hell, okay? But usually, that's probably not the best place to start, okay? He starts in a positive way. Let, let's talk about our similarities here. We both are religious. I was, yeah, Paul's like, I used to be really religious, <laughs> And I want to talk about who this unknown God is. You see the brilliance of that? It's, it's very complimentary. He's going to get to judgment. Don't worry. He's going there. It's going to take him a while to get there, though. Okay? Where did Paul end? Okay? So, so before we know how to build a bridge, remember, remember how he said, pop quiz, I'm frozen, I don't know what to say. If you want to know what to say, see where the person's at right now. You can figure that out by asking questions. Where do you have to end? Okay, where does Paul end? Verse 31. Uh, you might have to flip over a page here. Uh, verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. We start with, you're very religious, and you have an unknown God. We end with Jesus. The ending is always the same. That makes it easy. The answer to the test is always going to be the same by the end. Jesus. He's the judge. He died for you. He rose from the dead. That's where we have to get. Now comes probably the part where we get scared. How do you connect where they're at with Jesus? What kind of bridge are you going to build? Okay. Um, look at verses 24 through 30 with me the god who made the world and everything in it is the lord of heaven and earth he doesn't live in temples built by hands he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men, gives men life and breath and everything else from one man he made every nation of the men that they should inhabit the whole earth he determined the time set for them the exact places where they should live god did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we shouldn't think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Isn't verse 30 interesting? In the past, God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people to repent. You want to know what that means? Go to a community group and you're going to talk about it. Okay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But um, 
That is in your community group uh, handouts, by the way, you community group leaders. You're going to answer the, try to answer the question, is God overlooking sins from the past? And the answer is no. He doesn't just say, oh, you used to, you used to kill people uh, back in the days of Noah. I don't care about that anymore. Um, no, there's still accountability there. Um, it's a different kind of accountability once Christ has come and you've heard the answer. It's a different kind of accountability, a different kind of judgment for those who know more. But the rest I'm going to leave for you to talk about in your community groups. Little, that really is one of your questions. Um, what do you do with that? Looks like God's overlooking the past. He's not. Uh, he's looking at it differently than he looks at it now, though. So, okay. Uh, hopefully that made you frustrated enough that you're going to look into it yourself. Okay? Um, how do you connect the two? He proclaimed the unknown God. Okay? So, so he says, I want to let you know what you're really searching for. I want to let you know the God, the creator. And, and, and by the way, if there's a creator that made you, guess what? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your temples. And this would have blown their minds. Greek gods needed people to believe them, to serve them, to pray to them. This God doesn't need any of that. He, he desires you to call on him and to seek him. But that's your responsibility. He doesn't need that. You need that. You need life and breath from him. You need everything from him. So you better figure this God out. Who is he? Who is this creator? Let me tell you who he is. It's Jesus, the one that was killed and was raised from the dead. At that point, they say, nope, 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 nope. Uh, bridge building exercise over. Um, some of us just can't handle that. What were the results? Uh, I think that's where we're going next. The result was some people sneered. Some people were curious and wanted more. Some people believed and followed. There's all different kinds of people there. Some said, resurrection, not happening. Some people believed it. Some people said, this makes sense. And God took the blinders off their eyes and they believed. Now, um, let's summarize all this then. We're kind of hitting, go, going to the end here, okay? A builder begins with where a person's at, ends with Jesus, and connects the two, okay? Now, that means when the pop quiz happens and, and, and you're standing with that person, they say, I was abused and I'm mad at God and I'm mad at the church. You know that they're mad, they're angry. You also know they probably like to get healing and like to come through that time. And you know that on this side's Jesus who offers fulfillment in life that they've never felt before. You know that this is the Jesus that took the little children to him. This is the Jesus who said, it'd be better for you to tie a big rock around your neck and throw yourself into the water than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus hates abuse. He hates it. And he had strong words for those that did it. So you, so you got to talk about that, Jesus. you got to build that bridge over and say, Jesus knew the kids were going to be hurt, and he still loves those children, and there's going to be a day in heaven when he wipes tears away. Why is heaven described in negative terms? No tears, no sickness. You know, why can't you give me just the positives? Because there's so many negatives here, we need to know that he's going to wipe them away one day. Um, that's a good bridge right there. That's a good bridge. I think that'll hold somebody. You can build that. Two tools that you use if you're a good bridge builder. Two tools. It's not rocket science. You use the Word of God and you use prayer. Uh, prayer, number one. And uh, number two, the Word of God. 
if the devil is blinding the minds of unbelievers, which we're told in 2 Corinthians, do you think you're going to break through it by your good argument? You better not. You better be praying that God takes the blinders off and shows who he is. You better be, and you know what? Um, I've heard it very often. I've heard people say to me, I don't want to share because I know when it comes time for me to call my Bible knowledge, I don't have a lot of it. But think about this. I want to build a bridge for you right now, okay? You that don't want to share the faith like this and deal with this bridge building thing. Um, if you, how many times is it where I have been doing my devotions, my time in the Bible, and then I talk to somebody, and oh, what a lucky coincidence that what I was reading this morning actually relates to what they're dealing with. What a coincidence. So, so you could anticipate the God of the universe helping you open to the right page in your devotions for the person that you're going to talk to next week. And is this going to be there? I mean, is, is your view of God that big? Because if it is that big, that takes the excuses out of it and saying, I've had no biblical instruction. I don't know the storyline of the Bible well enough. Well, okay, we can work on that and we should talk about that. How can we, how can we help you in that? But even so, God is going to take you places in the Word that you need to go. Um, I want you to see a passage that, that shows us the kind of battle that we're in. Would you go to, uh, time's running out, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you go there real quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a great passage on the importance of what we're talking about with these tools. This is page 821 in, a, in your pew Bibles, 821. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Paul says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face, but bold when away. I beg you, when I come, I may not have to be so bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He's like, I hope I don't have to come to your church and, and yell at you for living like the world and, and doing these things. Verse 3, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The people you're talking with have strongholds. Satan's been telling them their entire life, lies. You're worthless. You see? See what happened to you when you were young? That means you're worthless. Satan's been telling people that the, the Christian faith is for stupid people. It's not for the intellectual. You want to believe a dead guy came back to life? You're ridiculous. Satan wants to tell people, you believe in Jesus and you're not going to be able to do the things that you love doing the most in life. Just give them up and you're not going to get a good thing in return. Satan's had a lot of time to work on people. You want to break through a stronghold that Satan has, his grip on someone's life? Paul says, it, it, you, can't use, you can't use the tools of the world for that. Okay, We don't use guns and bombs and force our will on people. That's not the way we do it. We use something more effective. Sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Ephesians 6. We pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers. And when we pray for people to get saved, God hears us and begins working on their heart if He hasn't already. And should He choose, He will take those blinders off and people will see who Jesus is. And then they have that choice. Am I going to follow this Jesus or not? It does mean we need to be in our Bibles. 
you need to know some scripture. But again, if you're just reading a few verses a day, I'm trusting the God of the universe is going to help you use those verses for the person you're talking with. He's that big. It'll happen. Um, gentle persuasion. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to say. Chapter 10, verse 1 in 2 Corinthians. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Again, you can see Paul's heart is that I'm not going up to people in anger and yelling at them about hell. That I'm going up to people in meekness and gentleness of Christ. Of Christ is a genitive. That's that prepositional phrase. It's a subjective genitive meaning Christ gentleness. Christ's meekness. He's the subject. Christ is gentle. Christ is meek. Gentleness and meekness, hear me, especially men, okay? It doesn't mean you're coming in a weak sort of way. It doesn't mean that you're talking in soft tones and just want to gently lay this out to you, you know. Um, It means if Jesus is all-powerful, and we know that he is, we know that when he was on the cross, he could have called down help, Right? Satan tempted him in the desert and said, you, could, you can ask for help at this point, you know. You have all power. And yet, in that power, Jesus was a safe person for the woman at the well to talk to. He was a safe person for the woman that was caught in adultery and drug out in front of him. He had all the power to say, you were judged, I saw what you did, and there's no... But, but he was safe. He was gentle he was meek. So, so, men, I'm talking to you in particular. Please don't get the image that we're talking about sharing in some sort of weak sort of way where you're like have to talk in a whisper and a hush. And, and, and No, no. You can speak in your own voice, your own tone, as long as it's gentle and meek and know that this is what this person needs to hear. Um, gentleness is not weakness. There can be a lot of strength that's controlled and used for the kingdom of God. So, um, boy, I only got a couple minutes here, and I wanted to end. I wanted to end with a bridge building. Okay, let's do this. I want to build one bridge for you today. Okay, um, I, I wrote down about five, and I wasn't sure which one I was going to do, so I'm, I'm picking one. Um, one of the hardest bridges to build, I think, in America today is when you talk with a young person about the subject of homosexual marriage. Would you agree? Man, I mean, I, I've seen it. I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen a family member write something on there and other family members that just explodes and says, you are hateful and you are a bigot. And, you know, it's like, man, that's a, that's a bridge that needs to be built. That's an obstacle. The obstacle is if Jesus loves everybody, why doesn't he approve of two people that want to get married regardless of what gender they are? So I'm starting with the person over here that is a uh, proponent of same-sex marriage. Uh, let's, let's assume the person's also homosexual and living that lifestyle. What I'm, what I'm assuming about this person is that they really want fulfillment. They really want fulfillment. And they really want to find fulfillment in another partner for life. That's what I'm assuming about this person. Now, here's where the church goes wrong, I believe. I've heard this a lot person's over here over here where where do we end and sometimes what i think people say this is where we end as a church heterosexuality that's the ending point that's the ending goal i'm like no no the the goal is not heterosexuality the goal is christ and his holiness 
right? The goal is that whether I, if I have to struggle with the rest of my life with these feelings that I don't want, and by the way, I certainly have feelings that I don't want as a heterosexual guy, right? But if I have to struggle the rest of my life with feelings that I don't want, and you're telling me that to be a Christian means I'm going to eventually get married to someone of the opposite gender, I, I can't imagine that happening. I can't imagine that. That's why the argument is I was born this way. Um, it's in my DNA. I can't change. Over here, though, is Jesus saying, I give life to the fullest. I give life to the tempted. I have joy that you've never experienced and joy in heaven that will blow your mind. And I'm offering it to you. How do you connect the two? And I'm putting myself on the spot because literally I did not prepare for this. I'm just thinking, what would I say? What would I say? Um, To build a bridge between that and that, I think what you have to do is, is, is talk a lot about fulfillment in life. Where is true fulfillment? Is true fulfillment in a mate? Or is true fulfillment in Christ? That's good. That preaches to anybody, by the way. <laughs> People that are looking for a mate. Is true fulfillment in pleasure? Or is there pleasure in Christ that goes deeper than the pleasure of a mate? Those are questions you've got to talk about. Is sin, the sin of homosexuality, somehow worse than other sexual sin? We say no. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all damaging the person. Whatever you heard from church, the church you were at, we've got to build a bridge over this and say, um, you, maybe, you, maybe you've heard that this is like the worst thing ever. We're saying it is bad, and, and, and you're going to hell just like everybody else that sins. I was going to hell too. Let me tell you about my sin. I think a good bridge builder is probably going to admit some of their own sins at that point, and some of their own struggles at that point, so that that person can identify with them and say, oh, it's not just me. It's not just me. It's you too. So a bridge can be built there. And again, the goal is Christ. The goal is not... You can pray for a different orientation in their life, but that's not always possible. They might struggle their entire life, but live a holy life in devotion to Christ. That is the goal. The holiness of Christ. Let's not have a bad ending point because I think that's one that drives me crazy. Um, the other thing about that, um, just one more thing I'll share, is identity. You're finding your identity in a sexual orientation. Can't be good. Identity is in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you're now identified with him. You are, uh, uh, Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your orientation is not who you are anymore. Your orientation is Jesus. You're connected to him. You've been crucified with him. See, there's a lot of places you can go with that issue that don't berate that person and don't lower that person and say, you know what, I got that you got struggles, but Christ is where we got to end up here. Would you prayerfully consider ways you can build bridges in people's lives that you know? If you're going to a community group, again, those are great places to discuss this. You're going to talk about how to build some bridges with people that you know and uh, brainstorm, okay? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song. Lord Jesus, uh, we, you know, we're weak people. <laughs> we're, 
we're jars of clay and we have this treasure inside us. And sometimes it's hard to get the treasure out and show it to people, you know? <laughs> sometimes it's hard. I, I pray that we would be a church, though, of bridge builders that would love people well and, and share with them well and, and, and know how to address the concerns that bother them the most. In Jesus' name, amen.